0: Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from Let Your Kingdom Come, a book I've put together to try to trace the whole idea of the kingdom of God all the way through the Bible. We're in the New Testament now, in the words of Jesus, and in Matthew 21, we're going to talk about the kingdom transfer right now. Listen carefully. In Matthew 21, 43, Therefore I say to you, says Jesus, the kingdom of God, will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it and whoever falls on this stone will be broken but on whomever it falls it will grind him to powder jesus says that the kingdom is going to be ripped from the jewish leaders of that day and given to a nation that will bear the proper fruit he doesn't say the kingdom is finished only that the keys of that kingdom are to be taken from them and given to someone else. Hence the Matthew 16 presentation of those keys to Peter. We talked about it. We'll see in Romans 11 that this transfer is temporary and it's partial, but management of the kingdom does shift in Acts from the wicked rulers of Israel of that day to other Jewish leaders who would be able to handle it properly because of the direct operation of the Spirit of God living within them. Don't forget that the first members of the church were Jewish people. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. When the Spirit came into the church, Jesus, King Jesus, literally came into the church also and was its head. This Kingdom is still on the earth, though in temporary exile. One day, the church, visible and invisible, will unite with the Lord from heaven, and lo and behold, we'll all discover that we were kingdom all along. Here's an unconditional promise of a kingdom in Matthew 22. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son, And sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again he sent out other servants and said, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it, and went their ways. One to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding." Those servants went out into the highways and gathered together, all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. He said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him, hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. The kingdom, Jesus says, is like a king who invites everybody to a feast for his son's wedding. And many are called to that feast. Of those called, not everybody shows up. Again, clear reference to future events and entrance or non-entrance into the coming kingdom. Note especially that the rejection of the invitation does not annul the invitation itself or the feast. There's going to be a kingdom. There's going to be a feast. Matthew 22, 29 and 30, Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. Now the new world is labeled the resurrection. We had regeneration before. The people being referenced here are the resurrected saints, not the nations that enter unchanged into the millennium. Let's go to the next topic, unfaithful Israel in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Matthew 23 reminds the Pharisees and scribes that they had kept people from entering the true kingdom because they, the Pharisees, had not entered it themselves and were not allowing others to enter it because they didn't know where the door was. Jesus is that door. And as they embark on a mission to destroy Jesus and his people, they are more than ever going to be keeping people from entering that door. So the transfer of ownership has to be, has to happen. It's necessary. And then Matthew 23, 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, You shall see me no more until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, now, his triumphal entry has already taken place when he says this. He speaks of another time that he's going to enter Jerusalem as the victor over all his enemies and the founder of a new world order. Matthew twenty four fourteen and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. It's the same gospel with which he entered his ministry years before. Good news. The king and his kingdom are here. Simply accept him as your king and all will be well forever. Whether this promise is about the centuries-long spread of the gospel that we've been a part of, Or last day's event that will precede the tribulation and his coming? We can't tell. Maybe it's all of that. And then Matthew 25. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. And those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept and at midnight a cry was heard behold the bridegroom is coming go out to meet him then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps and the foolish said to the wise give us some of your oil our lamps are going out but the wise answered saying no lest there should not be enough for us and you but go rather to those who sell buy for yourselves and while they went to buy the bridegroom came And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. This is the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. The story is familiar but how often have we listened to it likened it to a future kingdom with a real king who has the power to bring into or cast out of a kingdom which is what it was supposed to be Matthew 25 the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them and to one he gave 5 talents to another 2 to another one, to each according to his own ability. Immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. Likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his lord's money. After a long time, the lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've, I've gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, "'Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord.' Then he who had received the one talent came and said, "'Lord, I knew you were a hard man reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed, and I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours.' But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to every one who has, more will be given. He will have abundance. But from him who does not have, Even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The parable of the talents. Unprofitable servants cast out. Profitable ones brought in. The kingdom has entrance requirements. But the kingdom is what this whole story is about. The kingdom of heaven is like a man, and so on. So, um, all these parables are about that. How about this? In, in Matthew twenty-five, thirty-one, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats, When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, and naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not take me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You see, the king is going to invite his favorite ones to come into a kingdom that was prepared from the foundation of the world. Note how this passage speaks of a division of nations, not necessarily individuals here. His church has returned with him. We're not talking about the church here. The church is standing behind him as he gives this sentence to the nations. They're already saved, the church is, but the various nations surviving that final war either favored or disfavored him during the hard times that have just passed. It seems he is now rewarding them to their great shock, punishing the others to their great shock. Matthew twenty six twenty nine. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. At the institution of the literal Lord's Supper, Jesus talks about a time when he will literally drink literal wine with them in the Father's kingdom. Let's not rob the beauty of this passage. The communion service is a truly spiritual remembrance of the cross of Christ, but in the kingdom that is coming, a feast is going to take place called the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation. And so in the Matthew account, Jesus talked much of a kingdom, its people, its operations, its entrance requirements, its future status. But above all, for the purpose of what I'm reading to you now, its physical Reality. The future kingdom. Many of these passages make it very plain that this kingdom, though not of this world, is not simply a frame of mind. An honest reader sees flesh and blood people on a planet covered with earth and water, the very one that we live on right now. Let's move over to Mark and get the few that uh, were not in Matthew. He has some unique statements. In in Mark uh, what is it? I'm in verse 26, and I'm not showing what chapter that is. I guess you'll have to go looking for that one. <laughs> it's uh, before Mark 11, and he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, and should sleep by night, and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields its its crops by itself, First the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. This parable is unique to Mark. Notice that kingdom of God has been substituted for kingdom of heaven, with no difference in meaning implied at all. Mark 11.10 Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. We certainly can't leave David out in this talk of citizens of the coming kingdom. That was the expectation of the Jews who surrounded Jesus at his final entry into Jerusalem. The kingdom is near and here. That's true. They knew it in that moment, though they quickly forgot under pressure from their masters. Mark 1234 Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, "You're not far from the kingdom of God." Now yeah, there was a certain scribe that answered properly Jesus' question about the first commandment. Jesus was impressed, and he was inspired to tell the man he was not far from the kingdom. Indeed, the kingdom's king stood right in front of him. The kingdom's principles were in his heart. So we're not just talking future, it is now, but it's also later in a different form. How about Luke? Does he have anything to add to this conversation? Oh yeah, quite a few things. In Luke 4, 43, but he said to them, Jesus did, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I've been sent. So this kingdom business was the essence of his teaching As in the next quote, in Luke 8, 1, now it came to pass afterward that Jesus went through every city and village. What was he doing? Preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. Luke 9, Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Another said, Lord, I'll follow you, but uh, first let me go and bid farewell to those at my house. Jesus said, no, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Luke 10, heal the sick, he says to them, tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, you go out into the street and say, the very dust of your city, which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know that the kingdom of God has come near you. Now, this passage must yield to the reminder that the kingdom is on earth whenever King Jesus or his spirit are here. Luke 12, do not fear, little flock, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Has Jesus assured his men that it was the Father's pleasure to give the disciples the kingdom? Yes, that's exactly what they're going to get. Though church and kingdom remain separate, there is an overlapping that we cannot ignore. Seeing how the church has brought in millions of Gentiles over the years, it's clear that its formation was initialized to be the missionary arm of the kingdom. And though promises of protection and blessing are given to the church, the very gates of hell never being allowed to prevail against her, it is the kingdom that claims eternal status over and over. The church will eventually be a part of the kingdom as elect Jews and elect nationals from all over the world form one huge body of Jesus' worshipers. Luke 14, the expectation of the Jews resurfaces. Luke 14, 15, where one who is sitting at a meal with Jesus blurts out, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Without knowing it, he was speaking of the coming marriage supper at the return of Jesus. Jesus responds with a story about persons who refuse an invitation to a great supper. He has servants being told in the story to go and find anyone who will come. So the man's observation was confirmed, not denied. Blessed is anyone who is invited to this literal supper and answers the invitation. But the following passage, chapter 17, seems to be in conflict with the plethora of verses that talk of a spiritual yet future kingdom. For those who continue to tell us that the kingdom is spiritual, not physical, this is home ground. I want you to consider simply that Jesus is asked, when is the kingdom coming? But the question is from the Pharisees not the disciples. When the disciples asked about his coming and the end of the world, he gave them a clear description of the lead-up and the actual visitation of his coming and the kingdom that will follow. Jesus was trying to drive home to these blind Pharisees that before they could even think about entering the kingdom of God, as in John 3 to Nicodemus, they would have to meet the king, recognize him as the Messiah, fall at his feet and worship him. And so he responds, he says, there's no need looking for some sign, no need staying up nights waiting. The kingdom is already here among you. In fact, you're talking to the king. Immediately he turns to his disciples and begins talking about the future where the bulk of the kingdom experience will take place. He tells them he's going to suffer. He tells them he's then going away. He he tells them to expect his coming as the lightning. So which is it? The kingdom is here? Or the kingdom comes when the king returns? The Pharisees heard one message. The disciples heard the whole truth. I want to go into that passage a little bit more. At least I want to read the passage. We didn't even read the passage in Luke 17. We'll start with that next time we come together. Thank you so much for listening. And I do hope you'll come back and finish this story of the kingdom of God. It's all the way through the New Testament and then we're going to go out into church history and I will prove to you that the early church believed exactly what we are saying here, that there is a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ coming to earth, who knows, maybe soon. Thank you so much. The Lord bless you. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.